0: give you our lives we give you this day this service this time together but god more importantly we give you us as broken and as weak and as incapable as we may be god we come to you because you are greater You are greater than anything in this world, anything that is going on in our lives right now, God. We come to you because you are better. And so, God, we pray that you would make beauty from our ashes, that you would breathe life into these bones, that our church would be renewed by the power of your spirit, That we would not trust in anything that our hands could shape, that we could form for ourselves, but God, we would trust in you. God, we just want to rest here in your presence. You are so good. Please accept our offering of living sacrifices to you. Open our ears to hear your word today. God, may the the, the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight. May we honor you with all that we have today. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Good morning. I'm, uh, I'm so excited to be here with you this morning. Easter is less than a month away. And I know that that sounds crazy. It's it's really kind of snuck up on us and, and stuff. But uh, hopefully, you are making plans to join us here on that day, uh, April first, uh, Easter Sunday. Um, today, we're beginning a new series. Today, we're beginning a new series that's going to lead us right up through Palm Sunday, right up to Easter. And uh, as we journey toward the cross and ultimately the resurrection, we will be focusing on the character and the ministry. That Jesus had on this earth. Um, we're we're going to be looking at his life and his ministry, and 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 to be honest, his life and ministry were different than all the world had ever seen, and and that still remains true. Jesus didn't come just to show us a better way, but he came to change it all. He he came to make all things new, and so our king, our king would would bring a new order a new order to our world by reorienting all things under his lordship. So we call this new series "Reign." Today, we're going to look at the first of, of four stories, uh, specifically uh, in the Gospels, that where Christ not only reveals who he is, but he also reveals how things are going to be. He reveals the new order. He reveals how things are in the economy of God, how things will be in His kingdom. And so, if you have your your Bibles with you, uh, we're just going to jump right on in, okay? So, so get your Bibles out. Uh, please turn with me to Mark chapter two. Uh, if you uh, if you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. Uh, you know, we're going to have the, the the scripture on the screen. If you're joining us at home, or even if you're here, you got a smartphone, uh, just. Pull out the Version Bible app. You will find all the notes and the scripture references in there. Just go to the events tab and see that. But we're going to go to to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. We're going to be starting in verse 1, ending in verse 12. So uh, here we go. Mark 2, 1 through 12. And here's what the word of the Lord says here. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Man. I love that story. I do. A little background here. Jesus is in Capernaum. That's where they are right now. Uh, He had been in Capernaum in Mark chapter 1. That is where he he drove out an impure spirit out of the synagogue. That's where he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And so he's kind of uh, hanging around here. But at the end of chapter 1, this is just the background here. At the end of chapter 1, Jesus heals a man of leprosy. And it says that even though Jesus says, do not go talking about this to anyone, he goes and tells everyone. And he, it says, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news, and as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town, but stayed outside in, as Mark calls it, the lonely places. And it says in Mark 1.45, yet the people still came to him from everywhere. So we get to this story at the beginning of chapter 2, and it's easy to see. Jesus has been hanging out in the lonely places. He gets into town, and suddenly, suddenly, it's like the circus has come to town. Word spreads. A celebrity is here. Everybody, everybody wants to come and see. I mean, the way that Mark tells it, he says, the people heard Jesus had come home home? Home. Home. We know that Jesus is from Nazareth, right? I mean, we, we know that he wasn't accepted in his hometown of Nazareth, and so in some ways, uh, Mark is trying to tell us that he's kind of made Capernaum like his home, Okay, He's kind of, it's kind of a home base for Jesus and the disciples. In fact, many scholars would even say that they're actually uh, staying at Peter's house. That's got to be interesting, right? He heals the mother-in-law and says, hey, we're moving in. We're staying a while. I don't know, but that's how it is in my head. And so we're told that there's so many people inside the house. There's no room left. People are gathered there. They pack the house. People are standing outside the door. They're trying to, they're craning their necks to look in the windows. They're just trying. They want to hear the message. What is he preaching on? We don't know. What is he preaching on? Enter these four guys and their paralyzed friend. I mean, we assume that it's a friend. We don't really know anything about the guys, I, I would say that it would be super awkward if four guys find a paralyzed man on the street and then lug him around town. That would be really weird. It would definitely be really weird to, to be like, hey, we want to take you up to the roof and, roof and drop you down. Like, that's going to be super awk right there. Um, but we, we would assume they're friends. These four guys, they bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus because they believe. They believe that Jesus going to heal him they believed it and so they brought their friend i mean isn't that really what everybody was there for i mean truly everybody wants to see jesus do miracles that's probably why he went in the house because he was like i want to preach on something and that's the only way he could get some crowd control But everybody wants healing. Everybody wants a miracle. Everybody wants to see him cast out some demons or do something cool. And as these men approach the house, as they approach the house, they probably would have uh, gone for the front door if they could see it. There's so many people. There's so many people. The crowd, they're just loitering in the street. And these guys, they're like, they are not to be deterred. They will find a way. Some of you may be this type of person. Maybe you know this kind of person. It's like they will find a way to get to Jesus, right? 220, 221, whatever it takes, okay? And so they're like, hey, we've carried him this far. We're not carrying him back home. And so around the side of the house is a staircase that leads up to the roof, See, houses were a little bit different at the time. The limited size, they're, they're not a big house. I mean, it's not like there's like a ton of people in this house, but, but the house is packed with people because it's a small house. And there's a, there's a staircase along the side. It was a common practice for people of that day to uh, use the roof of the home much like a patio or a deck, it was flat. It was made of wooden beams, and in between the beams was compacted mud and grass and clay and, and you name it, just stuck in there. I mean, obviously, it was sturdy enough for people to hang out and socialize up there, or maybe the homeowner used it as a workspace, but these guys, they will not be deterred. They were as inventive... <laughs> as they were persistent. I mean, they take this dude up to the roof and go all extreme home makeover on somebody else's house. Okay? Somebody else's house. They begin demolition and create a hole large enough to lower this paralyzed man on his mat down through the ceiling. Can you imagine what guys, I mean, honestly, what guys would have the nerve to do this? I mean, what if, what if you were the owner of the house? Even worse, what if it was Peter? Think about that for a second. You know, the disciple with a serious anger problem. Who liked to conceal and carry. I mean, holy smokes. Jesus is teaching. People are listening, and they are interrupted by pieces of roof raining down on them. And a paralyzed man being lowered. I mean, it's raining plaster. It's it's raining dirt. It's raining grass. It's raining men. Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. Verse 5 says, when Jesus saw their faith. When he saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. What? Time out! Jesus, you have just misdiagnosed the issue. The legs, the legs, they don't work. I mean, imagine the friends, they went through a lot of trouble. They were counting on Jesus making this man walk because it's a lot harder to raise him back up to the roof than it is to lower him down. They were counting on him walking out of the room. I'm sure they're like shouting down. They're like, no, he's paralyzed. We want him to walk, not be forgiven. The first thing I want us to see here as we examine this passage Is that what you think you need is not really what you need. What you think you need is not really what you need. Jesus takes one look at this guy and he knows exactly what he needs. He needed forgiveness. You might be sitting here today and you might be like, I disagree, he needed to walk. He needed to walk. Well, I don't think Jesus looks at him and says, you need to be cured from your paralysis. I think Jesus looks him in the face and says, you need to be cured from sin. I mean, if we thought that that this guy had something going on in his life and he needed to be cured from it that was other than sin, I mean, like, imagine... That would be like Jesus looking him in the face and giving him something completely unhelpful. I mean, to think that Jesus would, would give him something that would be utterly useless in his current situation would go against everything we believe about God. It would make Jesus out to be this hardened, impersonal, uh, you know, out-of-touch deity that, that, if we can even call him a deity because he doesn't meet the needs of his believers... No, 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 no. Jesus knew exactly what this man's real need was and what his greatest need was. He wasn't just paralyzed. He wasn't just paralyzed. His limbs may have been dead with atrophy, but he was suffering from something far, far worse. He was separated from God. See, the rabbis of the day, they had a saying. And the saying was, there is no sick man healed of his sickness until all sins have been forgiven him. To this day, many of those same ideas are found in in, uh, primitive peoples. but, But to the Jews, a sick man was a man with whom God was angry. That's why you see the disciples later in John 9. The disciples approach Jesus about this man who was blind from birth, right? You remember the story? And they ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he may be, that he was born blind. While it's true that many, <laughs> that that a great many illnesses are due to sin, it is still truer, time and time again, that they are. Due not to the sin of one who is ill, but to the sin of others. We can look all the way back to Genesis 3, right? We can look to the fall and say with confidence that those guys ruined it for everybody. Sin entered the world and disease with it. Sin entered the world and paralysis with it. Whenever there is a problem, almost always sin is the real problem. And Jesus looked at this man and knew everything about him. He was separated from God because of sin. Isaiah 59, 2 says, But your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear It was a big deal. It still is. His greatest need was the thing that separated him from God. I mean, that's why God hates sin. God hates sin because it separates us from him. It was sin that caused Adam and Eve to run from God and hide in the garden that day. And so Jesus, he doesn't wait a second longer. He doesn't prolong it. He doesn't dance around the issue. No, he cuts right to the issue. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. And in doing so, he gives this man all he ever needed. As one scholar put it, and and listen to this, the first thing that Jesus said to him was, child, God is not angry with you. It is all right. It was like speaking to a frightened child in the dark. The burden of, ter- of the terror of God and estrangement from God rolled from his heart. And that very fact made the cure all but complete. See, what you think you need is not really what you need. You and I. We need forgiveness. We need to know that God loves us and he forgives us. We need Jesus. Why would God, the giver of every good and perfect gift, give us something apart from himself? What good would it have been for that man to walk out with two perfectly healthy legs and walk right into hell. This paralyzed man got more than he deserved or that he even expected that day. I mean, praise God that the man didn't get what he came there for. He got way more than that. Praise God that Jesus didn't just touch the mat and say, go home, easy peasy. See, guys, I want us to see here that sometimes the healing is different than we might expect. Sometimes God doesn't answer our requests or our petitions the way we'd like for him to or the way that we think he should. But in Jesus... In Jesus, we have more. We have something better. We have more than we ever wanted with Jesus. We have more than we ever bargained for. I mean, whatever you think you need, and we all think we need a lot, whatever you think you need, Jesus is better than that. We need Jesus. And oftentimes, I need Jesus to save me from myself. Because I think that this or that is going to fix me. It's going to make my life better. Please understand, our God gives us his best. And that best is himself. Jesus heals the man of what prevented him from being in fellowship with God. Okay, so so what we really need is not really what we need. So, so moving on, we're told that immediately following Jesus' declaration to that man, the teachers of the law begin to think to themselves, which, might I add, is never a good idea, them thinking to themselves. But doubly bad when you're in the presence of one who knows what you're thinking. And so Pharisees, they're going to Pharisee, right? And Jesus, all right, uh, Knows what's on their hearts and minds. Verse 6 says this. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there. Of course they had seats. Everyone else is standing outside or on the roof for Pete's sake. But these guys got seats. Anyways, thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? This brings me to the second thing I want us to see today. Kill him or crown him kill him or crown him we have to decide i know that this sounds vicious and it sounds violent and even perhaps offensive but that was what is going through the minds of the pharisees right then that's blasphemous who can forgive sins but god alone i mean who does that fellow think he is He can't do that. No, he can't do that. Can he do that? He can't do that, right? No, he can't do that. You can't do that. When Jesus declares that the paralyzed man's uh, sins are forgiven, he opens up a can of worms that isn't often seen in that day. Why? Because it's blasphemous. Unless you're God. Unless you are God. The Pharisees are right. They're right. Only God can forgive sins. And so they conclude. He's a blasphemer. That's what he is. He's a blasphemer. Unless he's God. First, let's address uh, why God is the only one who can forgive sins. Let's address that, okay? Because forgiveness lies, hear me when I say this, forgiveness lies in the hands of the victim. The one who is wronged is the only one who can offer forgiveness. Let's rewind the tape. Let's rewind the tape. Jesus is preaching in the house. The roof opens up. Down comes a man, all right? So now Jesus and the crowd are uh, up close and personal with the man on the mat, all right? They are face-to-face with the guy. Does anybody know his name? Anybody ever seen him before? See, I don't know, but I'm willing to bet not. And Jesus looks him in the eyes, and he says, your sins are forgiven. How could Jesus have the power and authority to forgive someone who he just met? I mean, in other words, if Jesus and this guy, they don't have history with each other, and they just interacted for the very first time in their lives, what possibly would there be to be forgiven from? Tim Keller says it like this, okay? Author, pastor, Tim Keller, this is what he says. He says, let's say Tom, Dick, and Harry are talking. Tom punches Dick in the mouth, all right? Right there, smack dad. There's blood everywhere. Then Harry goes to Tom. He says, Tom, I forgive you for punching Dick in the mouth. Uh, It's all right. You know, it's over now, Okay? What is Dick going to say when he is calmed down? Harry, you can't forgive him. Only I can forgive him. He didn't wrong you. He wronged me. See, you can only forgive what has been done against you. So when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, what he's really saying is, your sins have really been against me. And so when the Pharisees are saying that God is the only one who can forgive sins, they're telling the truth. But why is that such a big deal? Well, I'll tell you. The Pharisees, they know the ins and outs of the law. They're legalists in every sense. They are acutely aware of what Levitical law says. When someone makes a claim that only God can make and they are indeed not God, then that person is a blasphemer. Leviticus twenty four fifteen says, God tells Moses, say to the Israelites, anyone who curses their God will be held responsible. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord is to be put to death. Kill the blasphemer. Kill the blasphemer. In fact, they give instructions. Take the guy out of town and stone him to death. Everybody everybody participates. Understand this. Either he is God and blaspheming, in which case they should run him out of town and put him to death. Or he is God. And they should fall down and worship him. We have to decide, kill him or crown him. There's no middle ground. The law is the law, and Jesus knows this. He's the one who made the law, for crying out loud, and he knows what they're thinking, and so he interrupts their thought process. He says, why are you thinking these things, right? He gives them more evidence by which to make their decision. Let's pick up in verse 9. It says, Jesus asked them, which is easier To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. Obviously, if we're just talking, you know, if we're just talking to people, then, then by all means, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. How could anyone ever verify that? Nobody's got, like, proof of that. No one would ever know if you just made it up. I mean, it would definitely be harder to say, get up and walk. I mean, if he does, then great. But if he, you know, you've proven it. But if he doesn't, then you've been found out. Jesus is willing to put himself to the test here. He says, but I want you to know. I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Here he goes. Here he goes. Imagine the tension. He's really going to do it. The Pharisees and the scribes, they they want to be vindicated. We said all along he's blaspheming. He challenged us on this. Now he's going to flop. The paralyzed man is wondering, am I really going to be able to walk? The crowd is in suspense. If the man is able to walk, then it would mean that Jesus is God and he can forgive sins. If the man is able to walk, then it would prove it once and for all. He can forgive sins. I mean, because if he can do one, he can do the other. But imagine if Jesus fails. Imagine if he fails, his ministry would be shattered. The crowds would disperse and stop following. The four friends who are still hanging on the roof, they're going to be embarrassed and dejected. They're going to have to lug this dude back up to the roof. Peter's still like, you destroyed my house for nothing. This is it, the moment of truth. I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. It would have been a miracle just if this guy could stand up. That would have been a miracle. If he could stand on his own. But Jesus tells him, get up, take your mat, and go on, and get out of here. And so he does. No lingering effects. He hops up, he walks right on out. He entered through the roof, now he's leaving through the front door. Jesus, Jesus is Lord Jesus is Lord over the physical and the spiritual world. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, even I, am He. I'm that guy. I'm that fellow who blots out your transgressions. I'm the guy who forgives sin. And that same choice is before all creation. All of us, every man, every woman, must decide, we must decide for ourselves, do we kill him do we crown him? If he's not God, then you must kill him. Do whatever you can to shut him up. He he must not be able to spread these lies. Don't let him deceive anyone else ever again. But if he is God, if he is God, who he says he is. Then that means he's the one with no beginning and no end. He's the alpha and the omega, the great I am, the ancient of days. That would mean he deserves every gift, every blessing, every honor. It means he's not just a prophet, not just a teacher, not just a great human or just some revered religious man. It would mean that he deserves my life. It would mean that he deserves my worship. He deserves my service. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. C.S. Lewis says in his uh, 1952 uh, classic, Mere Christianity, here's what he says. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. And kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any <laughs> patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. A third thing I want us to see today, is that we're all on equal footing before Jesus. We're all on equal footing before Jesus. See, before the Lord, we're all the same. We are all the paralytic. We are all spiritual cripples in need of healing. Sure. We like to think of ourselves as the friends who brought the paralyzed man, went through the trouble of carrying him through town to that place, hauled him up the stairs, lowered him down, demolished the roof just so he could get to Jesus. But let's be honest. We can be honest, right? Let's be honest. How many times this year have we extended an invitation to come to church? How many times in our lifetime have we shared the gospel with a coworker or neighbor? I pray we'll get there. I pray that we will go to great lengths just to see one sinner repent of sin. I pray that we will, we will have a great celebration for one person who takes our next step in Christ. I, I pray that we would go to the ends of the earth to share the good news that Jesus forgives sin. But first, first, we must recognize that we are the ones who need to be healed from our brokenness. You and I must be saved from our spiritual condition. We are all the paralyzed man, born broken. We do not function as we should. All is not well, and yet oftentimes we pretend that we have it all together like the the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the scribes. Those guys were exactly like the paralyzed man and yet refused to admit it. Paul tells us in Romans 5, he says, Just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death became, death came to all people because all sinned. He goes on to say that death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses when the law came, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. There is no one, hear me say this, there is no one who has escaped the clutches of sin. No one who has not been touched by the effects of the fall. We have all been crippled by sin. As it says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But there's good news, friends. There's good news. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, when we weren't strong enough, when we were crippled under the weight of sin, Christ died for the crippled. Christ died for us. Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the weak. Christ died for those who didn't have a spiritual leg to stand on. I love this story. I love this story. Because Jesus, He says to every one of us, He says to every one of us, It's okay. You can come to me. God is not angry with you. Don't be afraid. Come, come home. Come home to a kingdom where love reigns. Come home to a place where sin is abolished. Come to me and find everything you ever needed, more than you could ever want. That's why God speaks through the prophet Isaiah and he says, Come now, let us settle the matter. Though your sins are like scarlet. They shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. It will be like they were never there. And you and me will be good as new. We won't show any effects of the paralysis. We won't wobble like a newborn colt or a baby deer. We will be declared strong in the Lord and righteous in his sight. For he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we may die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. His wounds brought about my healing. His death brought about my life. And just as the paralyzed man did nothing, the paralyzed man did nothing to bring about his own healing, we are saved by grace through faith and not by works. Only Jesus forgives. Only Jesus forgives. Only Jesus saves. As the rest of the worship team comes up here, I, I, I want to I, I invite you. If you're sitting here today or, or, or watching online and, and you would say that you are in need of healing, you're in the right place. Jesus wants to make you whole. If you know in your heart that you are spiritually broken, if you're paralyzed by sin, then know that there is a cure. His name is Jesus Christ and he offers salvation to all who call on him. And so if that is you, I would invite you to come. Come, I'll be down front here during the response time. I'd love to talk with you. The altar's gonna be open for prayer. Our merciful and compassionate king is saying, come to me, come to me, and find all you ever needed. Let's respond all over this place. Please stand with me as we respond.